Hello, I am here with Sarah Ramey today. I'm super, I don't even know the word, excited doesn't encompass it, really honored, I guess, to have her on the podcast. If you don't know who Sarah Ramey is, she is a writer and musician known as Wolf Larson. Um, she wrote a book that I stumbled upon, well, that was recommended to me called The Lady's Handbook for Her Mysterious Illness, a memoir. And um, she's been featured in the Paris Review and NPR and many, many other places, which you can find on her website, sarahmarieramey.com, which I'll link in the bio. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited. Um, yeah, it was really interesting. Like someone recommended your book to me as, as like, it was really those kinds of conversations that I feel like a lot of women are having these days where you're like listing off your symptoms for each other and everybody's going through so much and like trying to figure out how to navigate it and doing all the things and trying all the things. And, um, I was actually in Florida at a conference, which is the first time I've ever said the words. I was at a conference. It was totally random. And a friend there was like, oh, I just heard about this book. And everyone keeps saying that it's like so um, funny, but and also like heartbreaking and validating. And um, I felt all of those things. There were many, many times when I wanted to throw it full on across the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you hear that a lot. Do you? Yes. <laughs> I oh my felt God. that way when I was writing, and I was like, I can't believe this happened. <laughs> I know. I have you to just... write it down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like. I hurt for you. Like you feel like, holy shit, I've been through this, and I thought it was challenging, and then you see what you've been through, and it's kind of astonishing. It really is, and the fact that you didn't like actually murder someone along your process is kind of a yeah. <laughs> one of my real achievements. I feel <laughs> so like it murders. is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um it's it's really like a groundbreaking book in many ways because I feel like it addresses a lot of things that aren't talked about and you do it with so much humor, which is kind of amazing considering everything you've been through that you can still tap into that part of yourself and make it so relatable. And I just feel like it's so important, not just for addressing the many faults of Western medicine and that whole industrial complex, but just of your lived experience and like so many other, I'm, you must have so many women reach out to you who are just like, thank you. Yeah, I do hear from a lot of people and it's, it's, Honestly, it's heartbreaking because it's like so many people just, you know, they're reaching out to me as like the only person they've met that they feel like they can even share the story with, that they don't feel like too ashamed to like tell or that I'm not going to tell them it's not real or not happening or that they look fine or or whatever. That is always like really that comes across really clearly in which I and I feel I wish that I could do more, you know, there's not a lot that I can do. Um, but <clears throat> it always just makes me so sad that I'm just a stranger. <laughs> I'm just some person that wrote this book. And I shouldn't be the only person <laughs> that this that that person across the internet feels comfortable sharing this story with. And it and it again just sort of underscores the need to tell 
you know, these stories and to be more open about it and to be a squeakier wheel, which I, I do think that it, that's changing a lot. Like I, when I first started writing the book in like the mid aughts, <laughs> that's when I first had the idea to start writing it. It was a long time ago when I first started getting sick. Um, <clears throat> I was like the only person <laughs> that had anything like this. I had met like a couple people here and there, but it was like the super secret society. And as time has gone on, it like now feels like it's like every single woman I know has like some version of the story or or another. And also, even if it's not that bad, like the people that are on the much more severe end of the spectrum have just become much, much, much more vocal. And I, I think that, that that is really important because it it helps it help the more. I speak up and the more that you speak up, the more that people talk about this stuff, it just makes it safer for other people to not just hide all of this stuff away, which is part of what compounds, you know, it being mysterious and not understanding it very well is if everybody's like afraid to even tell other people what's going on with them because they've been shamed so many times at the doctor's office, that's really going to slow down research and care and community awareness and, and all of those, all of those things. Yeah. And there's just so much, I mean, there's been like an explosion, which you address in your book of just like autoimmune conditions mm -hmm. that majoritively affect women and feel like in so many ways, it's just a catch all for, we don't know what the fuck's happening to you. So we're just going to slap this label on it because you have pain in these parts of your body and there's no, you know, I've been, I, I think in many ways, the fact that I grew up in Texas, which is like very much still entrenched in Western medicine for the most part, there are pockets where you can find other things, of course, but it's still very much in that space. And then I moved to Los Angeles. I mean, I moved other places, but I ended up in Los Angeles for 14 years and it was like a blessing because mm -hmm. I found all these alternatives and went down all these rabbit holes and found all of these other places where people actually listen to you when you talk. And I'm like back in Texas right now. Cause I've been traveling for a few years and like, we'll go to get blood work and I need to go to like a general, a GP to get blood work. And I go in the town and you list off all the things. And he's just like, great. Okay. Let's do your, like, they have nothing to, mm -hmm. they just have nothing to say because they don't know what to do with you unless it's like, Oh, do you want an antacid or do you want a pill for this? Or do you want a pill for that? Or do you want 14 pills to address each thing individually? Yeah. It's, mind-boggling that we're still there in so many ways yeah it's really true it's like in one sense I feel like I'm in the last I would say like five to seven years I really am finally seeing movement at mm -hmm. the same time I you know I've been sick for over 20 years and like I can't believe that we haven't come farther with this stuff like I just can't believe that I can still go as you say I live in Arizona so it's not I'm in Tucson which is pretty liberal but like you know, not super different from, from Texas. And it's, I can still go to a regular doctor and they ask what my conditions are. And, you know, I'll say, for example, chronic fatigue syndrome or ME-CFS. If I say ME-CFS, which is the actual term, that's the term the CDC uses, the Mayo Clinic uses now, like it's all updated. They're like, what's that? And I'm like, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> it's so fucking crazy <laughs> that you don't know 
what this is. Like it's a major problem that affects so many people and like ruins people's lives. It is unbelievable that the doctor is like, what is that? What is that? But, you know, and then you say chronic fatigue syndrome and they're like, oh, and they kind of give you a look of like, got it, you know, made yeah. diseases. And it's like, oh my, okay. <laughs> and you just have to just like condition yourself to like, let that just like pass in and out of you like a pane of glass where it's just like, I'm going to try not to take this seriously and try not to let it hurt me. But it's very difficult, like, because you would never say that to a patient that came in with literally almost any other disease. You'd be like, oh, sure. Cancer. I see you've been Googling around with your <laughs> quote unquote cancer. And it's like, that's not a thing. Like, that would be so horrific if you said that to somebody and and be wrong about it. Like, that's the other thing. It's like, it used to be that you could kind of hide behind like, well, everyone in medicine believes this, you crazy patients believe this other thing, but we're the people with the degrees, we know medicine, et cetera. But that's not even true anymore. The data has like so far surpassed that sort of belittling, you know, condescending attitude that these aren't real, these aren't serious, et cetera. The data is clear that these are really serious physiologic, not psychosomatic diseases. And the CDC says so, the Mayo Clinic says so, they all say so, but that hasn't trickled down to actual practitioners. So they're like, oh, if you only understood science. And I'm like, oh my God, you are the one that actually <laughs> doesn't know the science. And that's not just me being like, oh, you didn't read this one teeny tiny study. It's like the the, the huge body of evidence that exists, they are just not familiar with because it's not taught in medical schools. And that's very frustrating to be treated that way when you know that they're wrong about the very thing <laughs> that they're telling you that they have expertise in and you don't. And like, especially in my case where like you really are familiar with the science like deeply and that it's just, well, it's, it's really difficult. And you have to be, which is kind of the, the thing, like folks who've been going through things for so long, like the only thing to do is educate yourself so that you can go in and like, at least try to have an informed conversation. And I can't tell you how many times I'm like, like, and even like in Los, and actually, I think it was in Portland. I went to see a new gynecologist and she was like, oh, you're just too aware of your body. I think, <laughs> I like, oh, cool. I was like, well, you know, like, I, you know, we're dealing, like women are dealing with an infradian rhythm and like, uh, you know, I'm like, like all of these, like, you know, um, experiments and things that they're doing to test things on people. It's like mostly done on men or, or women in menopause. Like nobody's figuring things out for, for women who are menstruating. And she was like, oh, I don't know. Like I'm recommending books to her. And I'm just like, how am I in this situation where you're just like, you're too aware of your body. You're too aware of your body. Yeah. Well, and I, I know you probably get too, which you said at the beginning before we got on, because I wanted to ask how you're doing, but like, I'm a thin person and mm -hmm. I present as like very healthy, you know, you wouldn't mostly know what goes on inside of me unless I'm talking about it. And so I think like if I walked in and I was obese or like, I looked different than I do, maybe someone would like take me more seriously, which is also like problematic, you know, I feel 
Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Well, especially around weight, there's just, it just, <laughs> that is a very easy thing for people to just like, let's just shove it all off onto this issue here. Like if somebody's overweight, then they, or if somebody is just not super skinny, it's like, oh, let's just blame it on, on that. And, or if somebody is super skinny, they're like, oh, let's blame it on that, that you're not eating enough or you're not doing this, that, or the other. And it's gotta be that. And it's like, oh my God. Okay. <laughs> I just told you, I can't digest anything. I'm not choosing. Not, why would I come here <laughs> to the doctor if that was the issue? Like I would just hide it away from you. I would not be coming into the doctor if that was my problem. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense, but that's a way to just sort of use a visual cue that they can be like, oh, let's just reduce it all down into this so that I can blame you, the patient, instead of say, well, I actually don't know very much. I don't even know the name of that disease that you just mentioned to me. And that makes me feel a little ignorant. You know, nobody is going to say that. Nobody wants to say that. And so then they just, I I've, have found that they like, there is like this, um, period where they're trying to figure out how to displace the responsibility and the blame back onto you instead of just having the ability to say, you know, honestly, I don't know very much about this. And uh, let's try to focus on what I can help you with. And maybe I can, you know, help you find somebody that's more specialized in this area. That would be fine if somebody said that to me. Why instead of dealing with that own, that discomfort that they feel about not be, wanting to say, I don't know, do they have to turn it back around and blame the person in front of them? That is like a real, that, you know, they send us to psychiatrists and psychologists. And every, every time I see this happen, I'm just like, of the two of us, I feel confident that you are the person that needs to do some inner work on yourself. And it drives me crazy because it is, it's that their own ability to, to not be able to say, I don't know, or to not be able to just say like, gosh, like, it seems like you're really suffering, but I, I'm not able to figure it out based on your tests. But that certainly doesn't mean that you're not suffering, you know, I, but then they have to say something like, well, it must be that you're just too aware of your body. They don't say that to the other patient that comes in with a physical complaint that they do know how to fix. They're not like, you're too aware of your body. They're like, well, I know how to fix it. So you're not too aware of your body. And like, that's the distinction between like who gets taken seriously and who doesn't. It's if they have the tools to take care of you, that should not be the measure of whether or not somebody is suffering and whether or not you blame it back on the patient. That has an understanding of medicine that medicine is complete, that it's come to the end of its journey and everything is known and doctors know everything there is to know about the human body. All the treatments have been established. And so it's not possible to say, I don't know, because everything is known. <laughs> and that is obviously not true. And I think that that's like sort of the tension that I think a lot of scientists struggle with is like science has like brought us so far. And so you want to be able to say like, yeah, science, science shows us this fact, this fact it explains the world around us. We know everything because of science. But if science teaches you anything, it's about how much you still don't know. And you have to be able to say that if you're not able to hold both of those things in your mind at once. Personally, I don't think you're a very good scientist. Yeah, I agree. A hundred percent. I mean, I think I was talking to someone about this the other day. I think like 
a huge portion of what's wrong with the world as a whole. Like if politicians and people in government would be like, oh, we went down the wrong path here. We're going to course correct. Or I don't actually know. Or we tried this thing and it didn't work. But no one is willing to admit that. Everybody like wants to stand so firmly in like the direction that they chose the first time that it's just like, just say you don't fucking know. Just say we tried this and we went down this path and we need to like pull back because this isn't the thing. And we see that now and that's fine. But like people like double down. It's kind of crazy. They just will not admit they're wrong. Right. It's something you see sort of in interpersonal relationships too. Like some people just cannot take responsibility. And I feel like the more powerful you become, the more difficult it is. I think it it feels scarier to people, the more power that they have, it feels scarier to be able to say like, I don't know everything. I'm not God. And like when in reality, I think my experience is like the doctors who say that the powerful people who say that they're like infinitely more respected because they're just honest with you. And they just yeah. say, yeah, I know a lot. I know a lot. And I don't know this, or I was wrong about this. I apologize, but I'm going to help you now. Like, I don't know anybody that's like, oh, what a weakling. It's like, it's such a mistake to think that that, that it's strength to pretend that you know everything or that you get everything right when you clearly don't. That's weakness. But it, but I think a lot of people, they don't see it that way. And it's very, it's challenging because again, that has to do with like them doing their own work. <laughs> and like, it's really difficult to get them to to do that. I had a, I had a doctor say recently who was being this, this way, he was saying something about psychiatry. And I was like, man, let's just don't do it. It's <laughs> like, don't just, I see where you're going. He was going to recommend that I see a psychiatrist. And I was like, don't worry. I've got it covered. I have a lot of psychological support. It's okay. And he was like, no, I get it. I get it. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to do psychiatry. He's like, I myself have never needed to do that. He was like, if I needed to, you know, I, I think that I, I like to think that I would be open to it. And I was like, buddy, (laughs) you need it right now. (laughs) Emergency session. You need somebody to talk to you about why you are telling me to do this when that is not the (laughs) because again, it's like, if you're a podiatrist and somebody comes in with a foot problem, it's like it would be malpractice to like not even x-ray it, not even look, not really even try and just be like, you know, and I think this is mommy issues, you know, like <laughs> you can't do that. It's so irresponsible, but it happens pretty routinely with, we, I feel like we should back up a little bit for anybody that's listening to this and didn't yes. read the book. The book is about, you know, illnesses that predominantly affect women that are considered, quote, mysterious. So like chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, lots of autoimmune diseases, especially prior to getting the diagnosis. But even once you've got the diagnosis, then there's a lot of unexplained stuff that's all wrapped up in there. Um, uh, Multiple chemical sensitivity, Lyme and post-Lyme, long COVID is another, that's a probably a version of... um, what's called ME-CFS, which is chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, this family of illnesses, Ehlers-Danlos, I could go on, there's like a million in this, under this sort of neuroimmune, neuroendocrine umbrella. And they are, they predominantly affect women. Um, they are famously under-researched and um, underserved. And they, you're basically 
screwed if you have one of these diagnoses, unless you're very lucky and have found one of the very few doctors who really knows a lot about this. Um, and what happens to you instead is you go to doctor, to doctor, to doctor, to doctor, to doctor, trying to figure out what's wrong with you. And they either try and they can't figure it out. So they kick you to the next doctor or they try and they can't figure it out. And so then they tell you it's all in your head or they don't try at all. And they just tell you it's all in your head. There's a lot of different versions of how you can be, you can get anything but medical care, which is what you've gone to the doctor to receive, which prior to having one of the mystery illnesses is not most people's experience of medicine, just like in general, like lots of different, you know, categories of people. So people of color, for sure, women, for sure, LGBTQ people, for sure, experience being disbelieved by their doctor to some degree or another. But with the mystery illnesses, it's a little different. It is like 100% blanket disbelief. Like it does not, it is, which is not the same as if you're you know, you know that you end up having diabetes and you go to their doctor and they maybe they downplay some of your pain, but they're not going to not treat you for having diabetes. Like that's not the same thing with these illnesses. They're like, they basically just treat you as if you're a liar and a malingerer and you're a time waster and you need to get out of their office. And that is devastating, obviously. And, and so, 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 so many people uh, are dealing with that again, predominantly women. And then the more layers of marginalization you have on top of that, the worse and worse and worse, uh, it gets, and it's just incredibly challenging and it's only becoming more and more common. That's been my experience. It's just more and more and more people. Mine as well. I think a lot due to the fact that we live in a world that's weren't like, I don't think our bodies are necessarily in their current form like made for how fast everything's moving and how toxic everything's getting and that's not like a fear-mongering like don't like be afraid of everything but I do think we're just overburdened um with things that are influencing our health that most people aren't as aware of you know and a yeah. lot of these like conditions are exacerbated by like stress and things like that so then it starts to become like oh well you just need to like manage your stress and sometimes that's the case you know but a lot of times it's like one of the things that I really appreciated you talking about was like um kind of like there's like the psycho-spiritual aspect of things you know um like in TCM there are very like real physical imbalances that cause mental emotional imbalance like when and then there are other there's like the reverse of that there's like we're marinating in an emotional state and that is like creating the imbalance in the organ system and then it kind of becomes a like weird feedback loop that we can't get out of um and i appreciated that you talked about like i'm i'm very much a believer of like the the body keeps the score kind of thing like trauma and trapped emotions and stress and um, default settings and like all of that stuff like does influence our physical health, but like, so do like foundational things like the food you're putting in your body and getting sleep and, um, detoxification and like having open detoxification pathways. And, um, so I think it's like the whole, you know, and that's the biggest problem with Western medicine is that they don't want to look at you as a whole 
being. They want to extrapolate one thing at a time and try to treat it rather than trying to see the system as a whole, which is why I've always gravitated towards TCM, because at least they're looking at you as like a whole being, you know? Right, right. Which I think as a as a philosophy, I think makes a lot, a lot obviously makes a lot more sense. Um, but also, but can, but as I write about in the book, also has a lot of challenges too, because I think our culture is so, I talk about this in the book, like magical pill thing, that everything is, we're so conditioned to be like, looking for the solution that we collapse a lot of things in alternative medicine down into the magic pill that all you need to do is get to the bottom of your like emotional like whatever and like that will fix everything right if you just get to the bottom of your trauma and you put that special uh shower head that the guy in the body keeps the score talks about in here, that like has like some special like imprinting thing on your yeah you know, I, that's all I remember from that book. But which is, I agree with that. I'm like, I agree that all the things that you mentioned, you know, that it's the environment, it's the chemicals in the environment, it's the food, it's the stress, it's those so many different things. And the reality is, in my opinion, that like we don't have the best handle on exactly like how to turn those dials and how to be like, okay, this person is sick here's what seems to have been like the thing that tipped them over the edge. Was it the gut microbiome? What is it chemical exposure? Is it stress? Is it trauma? And what tends to happen is that a practitioner gets very um, uh, myopic about like all patients have, it's just trauma. And so they just do, uh, welcome to my office. Here's what we do here. We do trauma, everything. Don't forget about what you've been told it's trauma. <laughs> and so then and you're like, okay, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. And then, and then it doesn't work and you stay sick. And then you go to the next person and they're like, Oh, that silly idiot thought it was all trauma. It's actually all mold exposure. <laughs> and then like you get into this treatment for mold exposure and then that doesn't work. And then you go to the next person and they're like, what a dummy to say it was mold exposure. It's actually the microbiome. And it, that I think I'm all, I think this is just my constitution is like, I'm always trying to look at like the bigger picture of like, well, how do all of these, if, if all these different areas are having some very real success with some patients, but not all patients, not even the majority of their patients. Well, how, how do we think about that all together? Is it that, that, you know, we live in basically an unhealthy environment and some people have more exposure to certain things and that is the thing that needs to be focused on for them. But that doesn't mean that all patients need to focus on that thing, et cetera. And like trying to have a, a system that is looking at all of these different inputs. And also same as we were saying before, it doesn't, doesn't sort of egoically think that you have it all figured out. You know, that that's what I always wish on both sides of, you know, the aisle <laughs> for, for tr traditional medicine and for uh, alternative medicine to just be a little bit more um, humble about what is and what is not known about healing. Because if we have the ability to just miraculously heal everything, I mean, I mean, we just obviously don't. <laughs> like, it's just so ludicrous to even say the words out loud. We obviously don't. People wouldn't be so sick. We wouldn't have such high levels of chronic illness if this was just simple to solve. And we had just figured everything out. We clearly have not. And I wish that more practitioners would just be 
honest about that. And I think it sort of threatens the business model to do that. <laughs> like it's hard to like hang out your shingle and be like, you know, please pay me a thousand dollars. It may or may not help you. <laughs> you know, I think you have to be like, please pay me a thousand dollars because I can for certain help you. And that's a real problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, told, I mean, it's one of the reasons I got into human design and like medical astrology and things because I think what a lot of women, and I'll just speak for myself and my position I've done is like, you just try everything and you're kind of like popcorning around. And I used to like go into every acupuncturist or like new practitioner's office. I would go in, I would use that like visual of those old cartoons where there was like a dam and then like water was coming out of this hole and the yeah. cartoon character would like plug the hole and then water yeah. would shoot out over here and like plug the hole and I was just like I feel like I'm always like trying to plug a hole and like slap my hand on something and it is because you try something like I can't tell you how many protocols like food protocols yeah. I've tried and like um, movement practices and energy work and like all the things and um it's because you hear from someone like, oh, this thing changed my life. You know, mm -hmm. it's the carnivore diet for sure. It's the yeah. vegan diet for sure. It's like drinking bone broth all day. Like, you know, and you hear it from someone and they're like, it changed my life. And I really do believe probably for some people it did because it was their tipping point. It was whatever they needed in that moment to finally tip the scales. Or like, I really think with the carnivore diet, it's a lot of like, you've eliminated all these other things from your diet that are aggravating you and Sure. There's like a whole thing about folic acid um, that for a time it can work, but also like eating a plate of meat for the rest of your life seems yeah. just batshit to me. Like, I'm like, yeah. how can that be? How can you think that's, but if you look at those people's charts, like the guy, the carnivore guy, like those guys are like, I got meat in my chart. And I, uh -huh. according to my human design, I need the meat. And like the uh -huh. vegan guy that's raw vegan is like a cold determination. And he needs like no meat and less protein. And it's just like, it's so individuated mm -hmm. and we just lose, we lose that completely. And the fact that I thought the, one of the best things was like, you you lay out all of these things and then you kind of get to this point in the book and you're like, you need all of it. Like you need stress management and you need food and you need to address your gut and you need to address toxin exposure and you need to address chemical sensitivity. And like all of these things are playing a part and you kind of never know what's going to be that thing. Like it might be for someone clearing emotional trauma. Like that's the oh, thing that really yeah. is keeping it. But oh, for yeah. someone else, it's not that thing. They need to address a very real imbalance like I had my gut tested the other day and he was like, you're completely missing an entire strain of, anti of bacteria. Mm -hmm. And it's like the one that's anti-inflammatory. And I was like, well, that one sounds important. <laughs> it's called <laughs> acarbancia. I was like, that sounds like a Harry Potter like yeah, spell. <laughs> you know? um, but like, that's important to know. And if I hadn't done the test, I wouldn't know that I'm missing that bacteria. And like by clearing emotional trauma, I'm not going to manifest that bacteria into my body, you know? So right. it's like, exactly. all the things. Exactly. And also like if you're, you know, in regular medicine and you're listening to that list of things like, oh, you just have to exercise and sleep and fix your gut and blah, blah, blah. Like, That's so crazy. That's so many things. This is not how people manage their health. And it's like, right. But if you just turn back the clock a hundred years, all of those things are managed. The microbiome is managed. The not having too many chemicals in your, in your environment is managed. Not having constant, the stressor of just like constant, constant, constant busyness and, and notifications and uh, activity and stuff. Like even when I just think of like my childhood, like pre-internet, 
it was like boring, <laughs> which is like, and I'm like housebound now. And I never feel bored because there's always like Netflix or something like that. There's always like some thing to like be like stimulative and like that. So it's like a lot of these things is actually just taking seriously, like, listen, it's really inconvenient, but the reality is we've like radically changed our environment in the last hundred years. And that's real. And like, you just have to be able even if something is inconvenient, it's the same thing as, you know, it is a very inconvenient truth. It is the same thing as climate change. It's like, yeah, way more convenient to just keep doing things the way that we're doing them, but it has a cumulative cost and it doesn't happen all at once. It happens over time. And then it's very difficult to unwind once you go past the tipping point. And it's like, I think it's very, very similar in terms of trying to understand certain health problems, they're much more like that. They're accretive and they're over time as opposed to some bolt from the blue and an infection. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have this like, you know, infection that you're dealing with that can be cured by taking, you know, an antiviral or whatever it is. And like that, that's very different in terms of thinking about how to help something is these acute problems versus these chronic problems that kind of build up over time. And we, I have a, a much poorer understanding of, but I will say, I do think alternative medicine, particularly functional medicine and that type of just, it's like, it's not even, I talk about functional medicine in the book, but it's interesting. It's like, even since then I stopped writing in 2018, even since then I've just watched integrative medicine, just swallow up functional medicine. And it's like, that's sort of the template for just basic integrative medicine. Now it's like, they take they take the microbiome super seriously, which they didn't like 10 years ago, but they do now. They take all of this, you know, testing around, uh, you know, mold and lime and all the things like really seriously, whereas it used to be much more the case. Like if I went to an integrative doctor, they would be like, hmm, so we're going to teach you to meditate and we're going to send you to an acupuncturist and we would like you to like eat overall like an anti-inflammatory diet. And that's not the same thing as like taking really seriously, like, nope, the gut microbiome and gut permeability like clearly leads to, uh, at least makes you way more susceptible to developing an autoimmune disease and a lot of these mysterious problems. And so you have to start there. Um, mm -hmm. So anyway, it's just, I think that thinking about things, it's just a different way of thinking about things that I think we're being forced culturally to start to take seriously because nobody wants to be sick. I think the problem though, is that the, the vanguard of people who have been dealing with the brunt of illness are all marginalized people. It's like poorer communities, communities of color and women. And it's like that it, like those are the communities that develop certainly women with autoimmune disease, mystery illnesses, but then all these other chronic diseases, like, you know, diabetes, et cetera, like that's that's predominantly in, you know, uh, uh, communities of color, but also, uh, communities like with less uh, economic wealth and things like that. And that's the reality. And it just doesn't get taken as seriously. And I think as you start to see more and more men <laughs> who are more affluent and more white <laughs> deal with a lot of these problems, it's like, oh, we should, <laughs> we should, this is very important. Oh my goodness. And it's so, I, I think that's part of why it's taken so long. It's like, it's finally starting to affect the groups of people that actually have uh, the most power to affect changes like within the system. And that is starting to happen, but it's just incredibly slow. Yeah.
And it's such a top-down, I kind of call it the far mafia, like th th that coupled with like just the way that the health insurance and the system is set up is like creates so many, pro like, <clears throat> you know, for the doctors, to, they don't have time. Like there's practices are set up to try yeah. to pay for themselves. They only have 15 minutes to see a patient. Like I don't necessarily, I'm not like, screw you, Western medicine doctors. Um, I think this is the whole system's broken, you know, it's, it's all of it. Um, but I love what you said about like the, the environment and like this, I was watching this comedian the other day and he was like, when I was, he's probably around my age, like, I think I'm a year older than you. So he's probably like forties. And he was like, uh, you know, we just started hearing this term mindfulness. Like I didn't have to hear about this term when I was a kid, because if I was waiting in line, I was being mindful. <laughs> like if I was sitting on the path, like there was nothing to do. You weren't just so stimulated with yes. everything. Um, and I do think like the good side of the internet and all of those things is that like, I'm in the middle of nowhere right now. And I have a functional medicine doctor that I can speak to through telemedicine. And that's like, no matter where you are in the world, you can get access to those things now and might not be walking into someone's office. Like I still have to go to a GP in the middle of nowhere in Texas to like get my blood work, but I just go in and tell them exactly what I want right. <laughs> for my functional medicine doctor. Yeah. And then I take those results back to my functional medicine doctor, you know, yeah. on zoom. Yeah. Um, but I no, think so true. much of it is about like taking things away. It's like, we're just, we have just, too, it's like too much, like the foods are through too full of chemicals and our environment is full of chemicals and like the screen time and the stress. And like, it, it really is oftentimes not adding something to our lives, but like taking away, like the things that are creating the imbalance. Yeah. And just, I think it's just sort of this cultural, you know, short-termism that like, we're just addicted to because you get all this short-term gain, whether that's from fossil fuels or it's from, you know, doom scrolling <laughs> and there's like the little dopamine hits you know and like we're getting from point a to point b you know cheaper <laughs> and like it it is so difficult to unhook from that once you have it because you know it's hard to see what the long-term picture is and we're not really like acculturized to like think about things in the long term you know <laughs> we just don't are not taught to do that and that is, I feel, like a real sign of major cultural, you know, a, a lack of wisdom. You know, it's like having, you have to have both. Like you have to be creating a good life for yourself now that is setting you up. It's the same with like financial health, right? It's like, it's like, yeah, sure, you could spend it all right now, but then you're going to be screwed like when you get older. And it's like, it's exactly the same idea. It's like, yeah, it's more difficult to figure out a way to like put a little bit away, but that you have to be able to do that to at least set up some semblance of security, both short and long-term. And I think we're, we're uh, quite out of balance in that, in that way. And that's, that's really tough. And it's just, and there's just so many, it's like a lot of people would say like, well, but you know, if you talk about like functional medicine, alternative medicine, all these things that you're talking about that are like a little bit better, they're so inaccessible to a lot of people financially. And that's absolutely true. But that does not mean that the medical care is wrong, that it's like the wrong type of way to think about health. It means that health insurance 
should cover those things. If it's working, then health insurance should obviously cover those things and make it more accessible in the same way that seeing your regular GP is more accessible to more people and et cetera, et cetera. And I think sometimes that can get kind of confused because it is so kind of exclusionary that like only a certain, you know, slice of the pie can can access some of these things that we're talking about. And that's absolutely true, but that doesn't mean that there's something inherently elitist about it. It like chemotherapy costs, you know, tens and tens of thousands of dollars if you don't have uh, health insurance, right? It's like way more expensive than any type of alternative health that you could be pursuing, but it's, you know, hopefully is covered, usually covered by your your insurance, or at least a lot of it is covered by insurance. And so I think that's one of the places I can see this changing too at my health insurance. I'm like constantly getting wellness reminders that are like, that I never used to get from my health insurance that are like just your regular reminder to get 10,000 steps. And like, if you do this, we'll give you $5 off your next prescription. And I'm like, Okay, so in exchange for me totally overhauling my life and doing all the work, you'll give me $5? <laughs> I don't think that's the right incentive structure to if you really care about getting people healthy, doing some of the basic things like eating well and, and moving your body and things like that. But I can see that they're thinking about it, <laughs> that it's actually, <laughs> that it's changed from being like, oh, it's, that's just all a bunch of hogwash. And people who believe in that are idiots. Cause that's what it used to be. It was like, and that, ha that's gone. Like, I really feel like wellness has gone just full mainstream. <laughs> and it's like, that's, I'm glad to see it, even though it's kind of annoying to see like all of my very able-bodied friends <laughs> get like, so into wellness and be like, oh, you ever heard of the microbiome? I'm like, have you been listening to me for 20 years? <laughs> I've been talking about nothing but the microbiome and like, but regardless, I'm happy to see it because it means that like, we are moving towards integrating like a, a much better understanding of what actually produces health. It's not just the, the presence of certain medications, it's the presence of certain behaviors that are what safeguard, you know, health for a long run. So. Yeah. I feel like, you know, we very much live in a sick care system instead of a healthcare system, but I do feel like the seeds are being planted. And I, and even just like all of the things that are coming out in the wellness communities that kind of give you some agency or sovereignty in your own health journey, all of the tools that are coming out and they're not always accessible to everybody, but there are things like we understand now that getting our bare body on the earth is actually like provides health benefits and anti-inflammation. And we understand now that getting our eyes in the sunshine every morning, like helps like those things are free hydration, yeah. you know, like things that are like really fundamental are somewhat taking. I mean, I've still like, I'm pretty sure I got shadow banned on Instagram for talking about vitamin D during COVID, but it's okay. Yeah. Like seeds are planted and we're moving in the right direction. But yeah. I want to pivot because I want to make sure that I have a chance to talk about a couple of things that I really wanted to hit on. And one of them was um, in your book, you talked so much about, um, and I can't remember, I know you mentioned the heroine's journey. Did you also mention If Women Rose Rooted, that book? I can't no. remember if you mentioned, oh, it's such no, a great, like also that vibe. Yeah. Um, but you talked a lot about kind of the feminine journey. And I wanted to read a piece and just touch on it because I think it's like, oh, so important. 
Um, so it says, and then finally, with a few vital preconditions, there will come the return. But this return is different from what we are taught to expect. That is, the princess being saved or the monster being killed. A heroine's resurrection is not a release from the wheel, not an ascension, an end of samsara, arising out of the body, a final deliverance. It's not a slaying of anything, of bad guys or dragons or orcs or ogres, not even a slaying of inner demons. A heroine's resurrection is down into the wheel of life, a rooting into the dark, turning earth, a claiming of the body, a realignment with the psyche, and a partnership with the dark, wormy dirt itself. She becomes literally grounded. Her whole job is to learn how to work with life, including the demons in the darkness, not against it, not transcending it, not denying it, not dominating it, not submerging the ugly parts, not striving forever to be better, lighter, brighter, perfect, best champion. Her job is to understand the shadow. It's so good. It's so good because it really is like, I feel like so many, especially in the, it's getting better, but for a long time in the new age spaces, it was like love and light, like love and light. And we're just going <laughs> to spiritually bypass all the dark and like not look at it. And we're going to transcend it. And like that word at this point almost even makes me nauseous because I'm just like, be with what's going on. Like be willing to. And I mean, I'm, we're both Scorpios. I'm like a triple Scorpio. Scorpio. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe it, like some of that That's comes a little, a little more natural. <laughs> Scorpio vibes. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious. No, don't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I'm curious, like how even since the book, like what kind of your heroine's journey and the, those types of kind of underworld initiations have looked like practically for you, you know? Yeah. So just to back up a little bit. So the, the, this part of the book is about sort of because I, so part of the book is about writing the book. It's about like trying to figure out how to tell this story, this really horrible story of kind of what happened to me. And the whole time I was, or up until this point, the writing of the book, I was like trying to very consciously find a way to make the story fit into the her the hero's journey, because that's like what you're supposed to do with good storytelling. It's like a common thing. Like every screenwriter in Hollywood's got, you know, a hero of a thousand faces with a thousand faces on their desk. And this is how you tell a resonant story. And so I like kept trying to like shove this story into this, this mold that it just wouldn't fit in because it was just becoming clearer and clearer at this point in the book is like when I had this huge health collapse, right when I was like in the middle of writing the book about trying to write about like my really overcoming the illness. <laughs> and then I had this like massive collapse. And I was like, I don't even understand how I'm supposed to tell this story in a way that is not just like completely hopeless and is not just a 100% tragedy, because that's certainly what it feels like. But I also know that I've learned a lot. And I also know that there's like, there is a lot of stuff here that is actually useful. I just don't understand how to make that work narratively. And so in this period of like real sickness, I started thinking about the hero's journey and like how I could change it. And, and then I read this book called The Heroine's Journey. And it was like, all of a sudden, it was just like, all the, it was like a magic eye painting where it's just like, but white noise. And then like, all of a sudden, it's like, Oh, my God, a dolphin. <laughs> and it was like, I could suddenly see the shape of the story. And it's really the story of you know, Persephone and the descent into the underworld. And just like the hero's journey, 
you know, there's this book called The Hero of a Thousand Faces. It's the same thing where it's like this story appears in almost every culture. There is a version of the same story over and over and over again, whether it's for the hero, you know, Luke Skywalker and Frodo and Beowulf, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's kind of the same story over and over and over again. The heroine's journey, it's the story of Persephone, of the, the bride of hell, <laughs> the person who... Uh, via trauma, via something happening to you that you did not want to happen, that is like shattering, um, pulls you down into the underworld. And uh, this initiates, you know, we won't go into the whole myth, but basically what ends up happening to Persephone is she becomes this goddess of both springtime and uh, uh, bringing life back to the earth uh, after her long descent into the underworld, which initiates the first winter. But also then she, every fall, she returns back in the underworld and becomes this guide to other people in the underworld. And as I'm reading about that, I was like, holy shit. First of all, this is clearly me. This is this person to whom this horrible thing has happened. It's not my fault. Um, but having been dragged into the underworld so many times over and over and over and over again, then I like claw my way back out and then it just happens all over again. While as painful as that has been, it is also true that I have learned a tremendous amount and have become this guide to other people who are walking for their first time through the underworld and can make it easier for them and can also to help them to see in the same way that I've had to learn to see in the dark to look at the root system of your own body, how it actually works. Cause that's what happens when you have a trauma in your body is this thing that was totally opaque to you. Suddenly you're super present to all the time. You're very, you're, you're too aware of your own body as, as somebody once said, you know, but you become very aware of your body. Uh, same thing with the psychological trauma. You may not have thought about your psyche like my doctor we mentioned before. I've never needed a psychiatrist. Well, I guarantee that if that person had some massive sledgehammer trauma come into their life, suddenly their psyche will become extremely present to them because they will have been dragged into essentially the underworld of their own psyche and having to deal with that. And it's very scary and it's very dark and very upsetting. And it's also the same thing culturally when you have like a bad thing happen to you because of sexism or racism or xenophobia, or whatever it is, same thing. It is like being forced down to look at the underbelly of the culture, of your body, of your psyche. And as and it's horrifying. It's very confronting. You like are not able to just keep thinking that like everything is absolutely okay and everything is just light and love and everything is wonderful and it's all going to work out in the end. You have to look at how it actually is, how things actually work, how the root system works, what's wrong, what's wrong in the root system that is causing these problems in the upper world. And then you come back, the way that you can ascend is once you have like gained some knowledge and are strong enough to come back up to the upper world. And then it's your job to bring that information from the underworld to the upper world to help everybody work on health of what's going down in the root system. But there's no way to do that if you're not looking at the roots, if you're not interested in your own psyche or what, what actually creates health in your own body or what creates cultural health, like what, you know, the, the cultural ills that we have, if you're not looking at it, you are not going to fix it. And so, and that's the cycle and the initiation that I've seen for basically 
everyone I know that has dealt with any of those three things, a major psychological trauma, a major illness, and a major cultural trauma. It doesn't always work. I think it can, you can get stuck in the underworld and like just absolutely stuck in psychological torment or in just anger and, you know, just frozenness in the trauma of it all that is real. And that happens. But if you can, if you, you know, can find the way to be able to like keep moving and to not feel like you have to overcome the whole thing in order to be useful, in order to have a use in your own life and in the lives of people around you, then you become this person that is like not afraid of going into the darkness and not afraid of their own shadow and not afraid of the culture shadow and can help other people, especially people who are new, <laughs> like first time underworld <laughs> people. That, those are the people to whom it is the scariest. And I had guides, like when I came down, the first, I call people like me a Womi, a woman with a mysterious illness. I met my first Womi and she was like, let me tell you about a little thing called yeast. <laughs> and it really helped me because that is one of the issues that I struggle with. And like taking care of that is helped some issues for me. And like just things like that, and it's like, you're not going to be the person that knows everything about every single thing. There's like so many different underworld workers. There's so many different types and there's room for everybody. And it's very meaningful in the same way that it's meaningful to have heroic work in the world. We're really trying to go out and like fix a problem and like actually 100% eradicate the bad thing. <laughs> like that's great. That's important work also. It's just very different from this type of work. And that was like such an important epiphany for me in my life because I am probably never going to be like released completely. Like I, I've kind of, you know, this is so sad to say, but like, I don't have a lot of hope that like my physical situation is going to get a lot better, at least in the very near term. And so for me, it's really important to, to not have that be the only benchmark of what is meaning, what makes a meaningful life, what makes like, um, what makes any of this, you know, worth it, or like something that I can even like, just make the best of, you know, it's like, if it's all, if it's all tied to, are you better yet? Are you better yet? Oh, if you're not better yet, then what's the point, you know? That is incredibly defeating. And I think a lot of people who have not been into the underworld, that is the way they think about it. I have a lot of, especially like people in my family and certain friends that they just do not know how to relate to me. They're like, well, I hope you're feeling better and better. And I'm like, what? No, <laughs> I have not felt better and better in a very long time. You wouldn't say that to me if I like lost my arm in a, mechanical accident, you wouldn't be like, I really hope your arm grows back any day now. <laughs> like that's like a insane thing to say to somebody if they're not getting better, it's the wrong thing to say, but it is the way that people think about it. They want you to succeed and to triumph over your illness. And of course you do too. Like nobody wants to stay sick, but there's reality. And like reality does not always mean that things just get better. It's like racism. It's like, it'd be great if that just got better because like everybody marched in 2020. That is not how it works. And it's like, you can't give up after 
just trying once to make things better. It's like oh, these really entrenched problems, the way that they are dealt with is with this like lifetimes cyclical work over and over and over again, and trying to get more and more people to be less afraid of their own shadow, of the cultural shadow of going into the darkness to see what is actually happening. Because the more people who do that, then the more people you have to link arms with to actually make change and to make changes in, in the upper world. So that was like a very important thing for me to, to like reorient my brain around. It took me like a full year <laughs> to of like reading and being like, oh wait, like trying to put together a bunch of these different theories. But that's what I came out with. And I've I it's really helped me a lot in terms of just like having a better frame of meaning essentially for my own life, which can start to feel like if you read Virginia Woolf write about illness, it's beautiful, but oof, it is bleak. <laughs> it is like, you know, there's no, it can feel incredibly, incredibly um, hopeless. Like if, if, you, if you're not going to slay the dragon of your own illness. And so for me, that was just like a very important shift in my own thinking. Mm, yeah. And how are you doing now? Not great. <laughs> I've been worse. So yeah, I wrote about in the book. I was had a really bad health crash in 2013, 14, 15. And I was literally bedridden in a wheelchair, unable to feed myself, unable to do anything. And that's at the furthest end of like the, the WOMI spectrum or the chronic fatigue spectrum. And I know I have a lot of friends who are there and that's bad. I, I have this scale where I put it like a one to five and like that's a five and like all the way at the end of that it's like five plus and I'm sort of back out to like a four plus which is like a lot better. I can leave the house. I can do like one thing a week to maybe like see it not even maybe one thing every two weeks to see a friend for tea or something and that's like a max of like two hours and then I have like a huge crash afterwards where I can't do anything I can't talk on the phone I can't read I can't eat I can't do anything and that's really tough to to be like I only have the energy to basically keep myself clothed and fed and showered and and then do something like this but but this you know has a real cost on the other side it's it's my job I like want to do these things but it's not because it's like um, there's no snapback, but the alternative is like, well, I could just do nothing. I could never see anyone ever again. I could never make music ever again. I could never, you know, talk about this book that I spent 15 years writing. You know, it's like, I want to do that. It's just, you have to build in like how kind of expensive it is for you. And that that's very challenging. And I, I also live with um, really severe, it's called complex regional pain syndrome. This is the, the whole book starts with, I, I suffered a really severe and horrific uh, urologic injury that led to really bad damage pelvically and to my pelvic nerves. And so I just live in very, very severe pain in my pelvis and abdomen and spine. Um, and then I also, at this point, I have a, it's called an ileostomy, which is um, my colon just stopped functioning also due to that same issue, the, the injury. And so I ultimately ended up getting, it's called an ileostomy, which is like a colostomy bag. And so I have, I have that. And, um, and those are like the major things, but there's like really common with WOMI stuff is like 
you've got the big names and then you've got like a hundred symptoms, but you're not going to like burden a stranger with those things. So I won't burden you with those things, but, but obviously all that stuff is in, is in the book. And so those are the things that I'm still dealing with. And it's, you know, it sucks. Like I'm not going to put a gloss on it. Like it's yeah. not okay. It's, it's really, really difficult, but it is what it is. And it's like, there is this necessity of kind of acceptance, like along the road of like needing to just be able to be like, okay, well, this is not good. This is not what I would have chosen, <laughs> but it is what's happening. And so I'm going to try to just accept what the parameters are and do what I can within the parameters. And that's the best I can do. And maybe next time around, <laughs> it won't be so bad, but this time around is tough and that's what it is. Thank you for sharing. That is tough. Yeah. <laughs> One of the like things, I think it's at the very end of your book. I mean, you've gone through all of these experiences that are just gut-wrenching with so many physicians where you're just like, how can she not find someone that is not an idiot? Oh my God. Um, but you get to the end and you, I don't know if he was a nat, I think he was a naturopath or a functional medicine doctor, but you have this moment where he like really witnesses your suffering and like honors it. And I mean, I bawled, like it was just, it was such a relief, a release and a relief to be like, oh my God, someone is seeing her and like holding space for her. Do you feel like you still have that? I still have that doctor. Good. <laughs> Not allowed to die. <laughs> like, I, he, I am so grateful to this person. And like, honestly, this is when people ask me, you know, cause like the hardest thing and it's the hardest thing for me when people ask me this because I can't fix this problem. There's just not enough of this type of doctor out there, but people always ask me like, what do I do? How do I get my healthcare together? And I'm like, you do whatever it takes to find a doctor. Even if it's like you said, if it's somebody that you're going to see virtually, cause I'm not in the same place as him anymore. Sometimes you have to like travel there to see them the first time that's like required sometimes do whatever it takes to see them that first time so that you can keep working with them or find somebody locally, even that just is kind to you and is like, this is serious. Even if they're like, cause I have another doctor here who's just a regular GP who is also incredibly witnessing, like, she's just like, this sucks. You know, medicine has really failed people like you. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> I'm like, I can't tell you how healing it is for me to hear that, even though I know that that's true. I just want, I want to witness you, doctor, and say that like, that is what you are providing is like medicine unto itself to just stop the abuse, intentional or, or unintentional, of telling people something that is not in their head is in their head. That is wrong. That should not be allowed. And it just happens every day. So I do have after, you know, it only took me 20 years to find these people. But I do have like a pretty good medical team at this point, but it took me a very, very long time to, to find them. And I'll never let them go or retire. And, um, and it's very important. And like a lot of what they do, obviously they haven't fixed anything. <laughs> it's still really bad. But the stress that has been relieved of feeling like 
I am in charge of my health care. I am not a doctor. I should not be like the person who's trying to like shake down somebody for blood work or whatever. Like that needs to be coming from a doctor who knows what they are doing. And I just didn't have that, as you say, for such a long time. And I'm like, come from, in, especially in this specific regard, I come from extreme privilege because both parents are doctors. <laughs> they are both really good doctors. And so I had access to like the best medical care, quote unquote, in the world. And I think in some ways like that almost kind of worked against me because it was like, they were trying so hard to get to the bottom of like, what is this rare disease that this young woman has? We have to help our friend's daughter. And then when they couldn't find what that rare disease was, their training sort of kicks in of like, well, if I don't know what it is, then it has to be psychological. Instead of just at the outset, just being like, gosh, I really don't, I really don't know. Or just having better training and being like, gosh, it looks like a super classic case of ME-CFS and probably precipitated by whatever happened with you and that urologist because you came, became septic afterwards. And that's a major infection. And ME-CFS is often precipitated by a major infection. Case closed. I mean, I can't believe it took so long to get to such a simple Occam's razor type of diagnosis, but it did. And that's why I wrote about it. It's like, this is not just happening to people on the margins who don't have any resources and are just super unlucky. This happened to somebody who has all the resources in the world and was still treated like a pile of garbage. <laughs> like that really speaks to that there is like a major problem in the system that is not just like, you know, treating people, you know, it's not just like the regular ills of society. Like it's like, there's like a real problem in the system that is really hurting people at like this very high level. And there has to be something to be done to, to, to change that. And, and I do think that we're starting to see, to see some of that. Um, but, you know, not fast enough. No, because it wasn't just like, all of the questioning you, which was hard to take, but you just had full on medical malpractice multiple. I mean, it was just multiple times. Yeah. Multiple times. It's astounding that that can happen. And I'm so sorry that you went through that and that you're still going through it. I just, um, I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I want to honor your time. I, I do want to close out with one thing though. Like I asked Sarah, if I could take a peek at her chart, because I was just curious yeah. and I've talked before on think, I think it was a manifestation podcast about, you know, we talk a lot about the intersection of things. And we talked a lot about that today. Like, you know, women and marginalized communities are much more likely to be questioned. One of the things that we don't talk about though, is like the intersection of your chart. And like, you'll often hear from people like, oh, like if you're not manifesting like this, then you just need to believe this or you just need to do this or like, this is the way that it works. And if you're not getting what you want, then you're just doing it wrong, you know? Right. Or if you're like, you're not healing, then you're just like, you need to work on your mind more or you need to do this more. And some of us just come through with a different kind of chart. And like, um, it's different in both of ours. Like I was curious to look at hers because I have a pretty... Um, 
standard, like I have Neptune in my sixth house. So Neptune is the planet of confusion and the sixth house is the planet of health. And it's just like, when you have (laughs) that combination, you tend to be one of those people where people are just like, Hmm, what is like, I've had practitioners treat me for free before. Cause they're just trying to like Sherlock Holmes, what's going on with me. You know, it's just, it becomes kind of an interesting case. And I also have the ruler of my sixth house in detriment. So meaning the planet is under-resourced. It's different for you. I mean, first of all, you have a massive third house stellium and your midheaven is in the ninth house. So you have like all of this stuff. It's no surprising that you wrote a book. Like your midheaven yeah. is in the ninth <laughs> house of publishing and then you have this third house stellium of writing. And so I, I loved seeing that. But actually the ruler of your sixth house um, is exalted, but conjunct Mars. So it's like conjunct this planet of like, they're both malefics. Um, some people, I think like some Vedic astrologers believe like, um, exalted sixth house leader is actually challenging because you're kind of amplifying the negativity of the sixth house. Mm-hmm. Um, but the main thing is that the ruler of your first house, your body, um, is in Scorpio, uh, and that rules the sex organs, the pelvic bowl and the large intestine. So that one I knew I was like, God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Conjunct Uranus, which is like surprise sometimes. Um, And then your moon, which also represents your body is conjunct Mars and Neptune, that planet of confusion. So it's like Uh inflammation and confusion and misdiagnosis. So Uh it's like clear, like if I was looking at both of our charts, that there's like stuff there. And that doesn't mean that we don't and look, my journey is nothing compared to Sarah's journey. I'm like a wommy one, you know, or I'm like, I'm like down here on the lower end of the spectrum. I'm not trying to compare at all, but I am trying to make a point, which is that it's not your fault. You know, like some of us just come through with a karmic imprint that is like, this is our thing to work out. This is our thing to learn from. This is our journey to take. It doesn't mean that it's always going to be the way that it's going to be. Or it may be, you know, like, I don't, like, there are no answers to that. But I think it's important to remember that we all come in with like a different chart and a different soul's journey. And like, if you're someone out there listening to this, and you've been feeling like, what am I doing wrong? Like, maybe this is just part of like my even in my human design, it's like, viewing suffering and joy needs to be the same for me. Like, I can't go through my life trying to reject suffering, which who doesn't try to reject something? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like who doesn't yeah. have any of that? I mean, yeah. um, but I think it's so important because I think um there's a lot of talk in the wellness spaces that like you're just doing something wrong if you're not getting better, you know? Yeah. And which is so frustrating because like if you're in the wellness space at all, you're probably doing so much more to like try and get better than mm-hmm. most people do in a lifetime, like of psychological work, of changing your diet, changing your diet to like a million crazy diets, like so much work. And to be to have those people told that like you're not doing enough when like there's like plenty of super healthy people who aren't doing shit <laughs> like they're not doing any psychological excavation or dietary intervention or whatever it's just you know i it's 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 just that balance of like having responsibility having you know some agency in your life that like yeah it is important to learn to be like it matters what i put into my body it matters mm-hmm. that i'm not just like this stress monster that's like, you know, trying to, you know, uh, just like, like a Tasmanian devil going around and around and around with stress, like that stuff all matters. 
And for some people, addressing those things is actually going to completely fix all their problems. And for other people, it's just helpful and it's good. And, but it doesn't mean, if it doesn't fix all of your problems, it doesn't mean that like you failed <laughs> and that you didn't, like, it's just that balance of where is the line between it's not your fault and you could be taking more responsibility. And that's just different for everyone. And it's really challenging in this space, again, because I don't think we know there isn't like a clear blueprint of like, here's what everybody should do. It's like, well, people are really bio-individual. And so it's, and as you say, like they have their, their own astrological charts, they have the way that they came into the world, they have their own traumas from childhood everybody's so so different and like so trying to find that balance between how much responsibility you take on and not taking on too much responsibility because it's just going to harm you to feel like you just have to try harder and think more positive thoughts and try 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 it's like usually the people who are like that they're like the definitely the ones that need to like be let off the hook <laughs> it's like it's not it's definitely not you <laughs> you've tried and it is not your fault and you need to just be held by like a big mother figure that's like <laughs> it's not your fault for like a year <laughs> like to just like heal that because it probably also comes from some you know trauma stuff in childhood so oh, yeah. yeah that's so beautiful because we do have agency too and I'm, I'm never the person that's like taking agency away from us in our charts sure but some of us start, you know, it's yeah. kind of like anything else we talk about. You're just farther behind the line, you know, trying to catch up. And I, I do think it's balanced. And I thought one of the most, I mean, there's so many things, but there was really a lot of beauty in your book of like the cumulative action and the efforts that you made, even when you were bedridden and you were like, well, I can't get up and run around, but I'm going to do one squat a day or two squats yeah. a day. You know, it's just like you recognize that like doing something, you know. And I still do important. that. It's like there's exercise in the way that like a regular person would exercise makes me bedridden again, right? I cannot do that. I've tried a million times. I can't do that. However, a lot of people who have MECFS, they see that and they're like, oh, therefore exercise is evil and it's not our fault and we've been told that we should just exercise more and exercise is wrong and it's like for a, and that may be true for some people who like any even lifting a single weight is going to make them feel worse for me it makes me feel better no question to just do a little bit every day like a like a like a negligible <laughs> to any other person who's like a healthy able-bodied person like it like almost not worth doing but I know that it makes a difference to me it really does make me feel a little bit better and then that is is just trying to do that in all areas of like okay well I'm just going to try to find what is working for me <laughs> and like that and not try to swing over to any type of ideology you know that like oh, i have to be doing this to the extreme or that to the extreme it's like doing whatever is working with the situation as you know to be true and like really learning to trust yourself in your own body that like you know what helps and what hurts and like that is okay for you to say like i am the expert <laughs> at this point on my body and i'm going to decide you know what it is that that i do on a day-to-day Basis. Yes. Here, here. You can't know your body too much. <laughs> <laughs> You're just so aware of your body. <laughs> <laughs>
that's so funny. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I know there is a trade-off to you doing this and I really appreciate it. And if you're listening to this and you haven't read Sarah's book, it is so beautiful and so heartbreaking and so vulnerable and so funny. Um, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. And is there somewhere folks can find you besides your website or is that kind of the jam? Uh, yeah, you, I'm any day now I'm going to start using social media. It's my, my Instagram is Sarah is Wolf Larson. That's my music name. And I'm combining sort of both sides, my writing side and my music side into just one person because I'm just one person and I don't, I can't handle even one social media account, let alone two. So I'm just smushing them into one. Nice. Well, I will find it and link it in the show notes. Thank you again so much. Thank you.